Well, good morning. There is a very interesting verse in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 16, verse 7, which says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. We are living in a time when peace is elusive. Violence is widespread. Wars are raging in multiple places. Governments are so corrupt that they no longer have the trust of the people. And Christian churches no longer have the power to convert lives and win souls for Christ because they too have lost their moral compass and rarely preach the gospel of Christ. Truth is no longer accepted in our society and the once dearly valued human characteristics of honesty, integrity, and human compassion have also been replaced by and large by lying, deception, and hatred for all godly things. It is no wonder that there is no peace in the world today, nor can there ever be for a generation that has turned their backs on the only true living God and is instead embracing wholeheartedly the works of darkness. There is no remedy for apostasy as far as the scriptures are concerned. Once God gives society up to their reprobate minds, it is not long before that society disintegrates and destroys itself. Dearly beloved, we see that already happening to our once prospering nations of both Canada and the United States of America. And so I would like to examine this morning what the Bible teaches about peace. So if you still have your Bibles handy, would you please turn with me to our main text for this morning, John chapter 14, verse 27. John chapter 14, verse 27, and if you would keep your finger there for the rest of the message. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee for thy holy word, and we thank thee for this text before us this morning. And we ask that thy Holy Spirit would be pleased to stir our hearts, to illuminate our minds as to the true meaning of this text before us, so that we might understand fully what the Lord Jesus meant by this peace I give unto thee, unto you. In his name we ask it. Amen. Our topic for this morning, then, is entitled, The Peace of God. The Peace of God. And I would like for us to notice three things about this kind of peace. Number one, it is a different kind of peace that the world gives or knows about. Number two, it is God who gives us this kind of peace. And number three, 
it alone has the capacity to take away fear from the troubled heart. So let's look at the first aspect of this peace. It is a different type of peace than the world gives or knows about. To the unsaved, peace is the absence or cessation of war. It is a public order and tranquility and the freedom from riot or violence. It is the act of being able to get along with everybody and not fight or argue. And although that kind of peace is also good, it is not the kind of peace that will last because that is not the kind of peace which repairs the cause of violence, man's heart. And so when circumstances change, the heart changes, and the cycle begins all over again. But the kind of peace which is spoken of here in this passage is the peace of God. The scriptures tell us that man is separated from God because of sin, Sin is rebellion against God's commandments. We, by nature, are rebellious, not only against God, but rebellious against all authority. We, by nature, do not like to be told what to do or what not to do. We rather like the opposite. We would much rather tell others what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. The Bible says that we are all the same. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18, we read the following. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The way of peace have they not known. That is a most interesting statement. They have never experienced the way of peace because they have never experienced Calvary. We read further on in Romans chapter 4, verses 22 to Romans 5, verse 1. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The problem with peace is that it can only be found in Christ, for he is our peace. Peace is not something we can find on our own through hard work or through legislation or through threat of war. Peace is something that only God can give. But as long as we are enemies of God, as long as we reject his sacrifice of Christ at Calvary, we can never have peace. And so it becomes a hopeless cycle of violence and despair. It may seem noble and even loving to attribute value and worth to all the other religions of the world. It may even make one appear to be peace-loving and acceptable in the eyes of a war-torn world. But the fact of the matter is that it is sheer folly to deny the truth. It is naive to deny the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he is the only way to true peace and instead choose some sin-ruined philosopher or religious leader as the path to peace. It is sheer folly to ignore God's own words in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is a very dangerous thing to gamble against God. It is very dangerous to try and find one's way to heaven without an escort. For only Christ was ever able to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No one other than Jesus Christ had ever been in the Father's bosom before he came down to this earth. Not Mohammed, not Buddha, not Krishna, not Joseph Smith, not any of the other founders of the more than 3,000 religions in this world today. Well, I trust that everyone here this morning has found and trusted in the true Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the peace which he gives is a different kind of peace. It is a peace that changes the heart forever. Secondly, please notice that it is God who gives us this peace. We read in our main text once again that it is Christ, the very Son of God, the creator and the sustainer of this universe, who gives us this peace. My peace I give unto you. Now, this is indeed a most marvelous thing. When we have peace with God, after we have received Christ as our own Savior, and our penalty for sin has been fully met at the cross of Calvary, we have the peacemaker, the Prince of Peace, living in us. Does that concept not thrill our souls? The Bible tells us in a passage after passage that all believers, all Christians, have God indwelling them. 
Listen to these marvelous statements in Romans 8, verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And then 1 John 4.15 Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. 2 Timothy 1.14 That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Galatians 6.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. We have a person living in us, as Christians, we have a most unique form of peace, and as such, we may enjoy peace even in the midst of war, turmoil, affliction, and chaos, because we have a person, Christ Jesus, living in us. Now, this does not mean to say that we will never be afraid or anxious or sad. What it does mean is that when those moments come, then we have the capacity to overcome them through Christ, who is our peace. This then brings us to the third and final point in our message this morning, that this peace has the capacity to take away fear, anxiety from the troubled heart. Why? Because we have Christ living in our hearts. He is our peace. Think of it. The first letter of the word peace is P. This reminds us that the person of Christ who indwells each believer holds the office of high priest. He alone is able to enter into the most holy of holies to present the sacrificial offering before God. In the Old Testament, it was the high priest's role to present the atonement for sin on behalf of the people. The people themselves were not able to approach God to do it for themselves. But the high priest in the Old Testament had to do it every year because his offering only covered the sins for that year. It was not able to remove the sins. He was a type of the one who was to later come, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that when he, Christ, had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And then in Hebrews 9.24, referring to Christ, and has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. What could be more comforting in our time of affliction and trials 
than to know that we have our very own high priest in the very presence of God, the Father himself, making intercession on our behalf. But then we come to the second letter, the letter E, which reminds us that we are also indwelt by the eternal Son of God, who from all eternity past has enjoyed intimate fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and has given unto us eternal life so that we too might have that same kind of fellowship and walk with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Then the third letter, the letter A, reminds us that the indwelling Christ is also the apostle of God. Hebrews 3, 1, tell, uh, 1 tells us, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. As the apostle of God, Christ alone is able to reveal to us the character of God, the will of God, and the commandments of God. For he said to Philip in John 14, 9, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? To Paul, Christ revealed God's mercy and grace and the marvelous blessings of the New Testament church. To John, Christ revealed God's unconditional love for the world in the giving of himself to be our sin bearer. To Peter, Christ revealed that the salvation of God was available to everyone. No one was excluded and that God was long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter 3.9 And then the letter C reminds us that the person indwelling us is Christ, the promised Messiah, the one whom God sent to be the Savior of the world, the only one who went to the cross of Calvary and shed his blood in the sinner's place so that the sinner's penalty for sin might be paid in full once and for all. And all that we as sinners need to do is to believe and accept by faith the work on Calvary as fully sufficient for all our sins. And that upon that faith we are justified fully, for it was possible only through the sinless Christ. And Christ, as creator of all things, has power to save all sinners. This then brings us peace from striving to please God through our deeds, knowing that nothing will satisfy a holy God for the remission of our sins except the shedding of pure sinless, innocent blood of Christ. We have therefore peace with God because the penalty is paid. We also have rest 
because the work is done. The fifth and last letter E reminds us that the indwelling Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. That his promise is sure and fast that even in the midst of affliction, violence, confusion, war, doubt, he is still with us. His promise to never leave us nor forsake us is still true. Hebrews 13, 5. Though our affliction and suffering may not be removed from us, we can be assured nevertheless that through it all, we will have the indwelling Christ to comfort us and to give us his peace. There can be no greater passage of comfort and peace to the believer who is bedridden and in deep physical affliction than Romans 8 verses 28 to 39. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay any Thing to the charge of God's elect. It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Paul concludes with these words, For I am ashamed, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the kind of peace that can change lives. It must first change the heart before it can change our conduct and treatment of our fellow man. The heart says Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. That is the only kind of peace that really matters in this world. 
That is the only kind of peace that God alone can give us. And that is the only kind of peace that can permanently change the wicked heart. And so we have come to the end of our message for this morning. But now, as always, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you all this solemn question this morning. Is Christ your peace this morning? Are you indwelt by the Spirit of God and there, therefore the recipient of that peace that only God can give? If you aren't, then I plead with you to receive that peace while there is yet time. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sins and for my sins on the cross of Calvary. Turn from your sins. Trust what Christ has done for you and for me on Calvary's tree. Yield your life to him this morning as you have never done so before. And you and I will have that kind of peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee so much for the word of God. We thank thee that thou hast preserved every word of it, that every word of it is trustworthy. We can entrust our souls with the promises that thou hast made, knowing that thou wilt fulfill every one of them. We thank thee for this morning's gathering together around the Lord's table and having the privilege of worshiping and remembering our blessed Savior's work on Calvary's cross. Part us now with thy blessing, we pray, and if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us around his table next Lord's Day. For we do always ask of thee these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.